Hi, welcome to Genuine Chit Chat. My name is George Mann, and I'm the writer of Newbreen Hobbs, Witchwood, and Star Wars The High Republic. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I am joined by author, including Project Luminous author, George Mann. So if you aren't already aware, George Mann has recently become part of the Project Luminous slash the High Republic team for Star Wars. I have already read a couple of his works, and we do talk about that in this very episode. They are The Battle of Jeddah and Quest for the Hidden City. In addition to that, he has written other Star Wars content, but he's actually written a lot of books before getting involved with Star Wars, including Witchwood and Newbrian Hobbs, as well as a whole host of other things. And in this conversation, we speak about all of those things. We talk about his writing process, how he even got into writing in the first place. We talk about mythology and folklore and the concept of fear as well really really interesting stuff and then sort of towards the last third of the conversation we then start talking about his works in star wars in a little bit more detail so if you're not much of a fan of star wars this is still a great conversation for you but obviously if you are a fan of star wars this is going to be an even better conversation for you it was so much fun being able to talk with george he's an absolute delight and you probably heard him at the start of this episode giving me a little intro which is amazing and uh, yeah it's just really exciting to speak with him if you want to see the video version of this conversation go over to youtube.com slash genuine chits chat and also be sure to listen to my other episodes of genuine chit chat where i speak with other high republic authors including claudia gray kevin scott and kevin shinnick so i'll be back at the end to give you more information on what's to come and things but without further ado here is george mann welcome to genuine chit chat where we have honest conversations with interesting people and i'm your host mike burton go so I am here today with an incredible author. A lot of my uh, fellow audience will probably know him from being one of the more recent additions to Project Luminous, aka The High Republic, but you've had your fingers in Star Wars for a little while before that, and even before that, you've been writing for a very long time. In my research and things, I, I came across non-fiction works, and you've done editing and all kinds of stuff, and you've worked with Kevin a lot. Um, so it's George Mann, everybody. And so Hello. it's an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Um, so starting off really at the beginning, sort of, when did you start writing? Because one thing I've got noted, interestingly, is it seemed in the early 2000s, you actually started writing nonfiction. And then you got into the editing a little bit. And then fiction kind of came about, you know, with things like Sherlock and or Sherlock Holmes, I should say. I'm so used to the BBC series that I love. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes and obviously some of the comic book adaptations of video games and that stuff. But right at the kind of start of things, how did you get into writing? And was nonfiction the first things that you started with? Kind of tell us about the early journey of George Mann and writing. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I've always written, um, you know, ever since I was a tiny little kid. Um, you know, one of the, um, one of my most prized possessions actually is a little book. I must have written at about the age of seven and a half, eight, um, about a caveman called Noof. And it's literally just like, it's got these terrible, like children's drawings in it and this story that makes no real sense. But it's, um, it has got a beginning, a middle and an end. And it tells a story of a, a caveman who, um, manages to cook his eggs by getting a, a crocodile to sit on it. Um, not, I'm not quite sure that would actually work. But, um, but anyway, that's, you know, so, and I, I used to get, I used to write these quite often and I get my dad to photocopy them for me so I could give them to family members. And, um, so I've always, written stories and um kind of and always read voraciously as well and um i guess from from those little kind of childhood picture books i progressed to actually um dungeon dragons and i got like at the age of about kind of 14 mm. i got really heavily into dnd and i was the, the the dungeon master so i was writing stories and and kind of using that as an engine to write tales and, and get people involved in stories um and that lasted basically until i you know hit young adulthood um 
but really, I mean, I've, I've always worked with books. Um, at the age of 15, I got a Saturday job in a bookstore um, after doing my work experience, um, which we do in the UK. Obviously, um, you know, it's like a work placement for, for school kids. Um, and I managed to persuade the local bookstore to let me come work for them, shifting boxes around, putting stock out. And at the end of it, they realised that obviously I knew a fair bit about books. Um, so they offered me a Saturday job, um, just doing that, stocking shelves, helping customers find books. Um, and I kind of stuck with that. I stuck with that while I went through sixth form. Um, then I went into it full time, book selling, and but carried on writing all the way. You know, I was seeing there was an opportunity to learn more about books, how book publishing worked from from that side of things. Um, getting discounts on books, which helped a lot. Um, <laughs> it's the nerd's dream. I worked in HMV yeah, yeah. for a while, and I was like, right, I'm going to buy as many DVDs as I possibly can while I work there as a temp. So. <laughs> no, you, you understand then, absolutely. So I was doing that. And um, and then, yeah, I, I think, basically, I, I worked my way up to a store manager eventually and, and, a, and a buyer for um, for Ottica's uh, book chain that used to exist in the UK. And um, one of the things, my specialist area was science fiction and fantasy. So I was doing what we called the call stock, which was for the for the whole Otikas group. I was looking at what books sell best, what books should be in store, like what, what the, what's the science fiction fantasy canon, as it's, you know, as it were, um, that should be on a shelf in a bookshop. And um from there I kind of got to the point where I realized there isn't there wasn't really a guidebook out for people who wanted to know what science fiction fantasy looked like at that time that point in time there was the big kind of clute nickels encyclopedia of science fiction which is an amazing effort and it's now an online tome because it's got too big they can't print it <laughs> but um back then it was like you know i used to get a lot of customers coming in and talking to me about well where should i start i like this type of fiction i, I like this author what else would i like and i thought this you know some sort of guidebook to help them would be would be great um so i pitched it to a publisher um and lo and behold you know they 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 agreed to to take that take the book um i think i misjudged how much of an undertaking it was to write a, a kind of encyclopedia of your own um no you know even though it was meant to be a small guidebook it was still 200,000 words <laughs> and um, yeah i learned a lot writing that book um but it was it was a way into publishing and i was i was writing stories at the same time um, but it, it got me a book, it got me a credit, and it was also it's because I'd seen that gap in the market. Um, so from there, I I started getting some small press fiction published. I wanted to be the big science fiction writer. That was that was my plan. You know, I was I loved Peter F. Hamilton and Alistair Reynolds and Stephen Baxter and you know, that school of big science fiction writers, and um, I thought that was what what I was going to do. But inevitably, I'd kind of only get six or seven chapters into a book. And it would just all collapse. I didn't. I at those days, I didn't really understand the process of like how to plan a novel properly, or you know. Um, but also, I just it was. I was forcing myself to try and write this stuff because I thought it was what people wanted to read, and it was what I liked writing. Um, and it was a friend of mine who worked. It was. It was effectively my opposite at Waterstones, um, doing science fiction buying. And Michael Rowley, and he said to me, "Look." Stop worrying about it. Stop trying to write the big science fiction novel. Write something for yourself. Just remind yourself why you why you do this, why you like writing. And I thought, that's great advice. And I went away and um, I started dabbling. And I, I kind of threw in all of the influences that you know I've had in my life, um, actually, except for Star Wars. Cause, but it was Sherlock Holmes. It was Doctor Who. It was Hammer Horror. 
and I created this thing called the Affinity, this novel called the Affinity Bridge, Newbury and Hobbs book. And I, I remember calling Michael and saying, look, I've got, thank you. I've managed to get past the seventh chapter. I'm actually halfway through the book. And he said, well, send it to me. So I did. And um, little did I know, he sent that to a publisher that he was doing a little bit of consultancy work with and said, have a look at this. And they, the next thing I knew, they came back to me and said, we've read the first half of this novel. If you finish it, we'll buy it and a sequel. Wow. So, you know, I've got Michael, I owe him a lot. I owe him my career, really. Um, so that's how I started getting into publishing. Um, and, you know, it's an interesting thing. A lot of, a lot of people often say to me, how do you get to write Star Wars? Um, and Star Wars is kind of an invite-only thing. And the way, the, the advice I always give people is, write something of, of your own first. Like, get your own books out there. Get your own voice out there. And that's, and then... The, the people you know who who publish Star Wars are paying attention to what's going on in the market. They're looking at what storytellers are doing, and and that's how they find you. And you know, it's true. It was true then with um, Doctor Who because what happened with Doctor Who was the Doctor Who editor read my Newbury and Hobbs books and approached me and said, "I want an Edwardian set Doctor Who novel, and I can tell you love Doctor Who and you know how to write in kind of the Victorian Edwardian period. Would you be interested in writing this Doctor Who book?" And that put me on a path to writing Doctor Who books. Um, and obviously I continued to write my own stuff as well. And um, the same thing happened with um, Star Wars. You know, Michael Siglain, I'd, I'd met him socially. Um, we'd got talking, we'd discovered a shared love of horror movies and, you know, it's a lot, lot of the same cultural touch points and Star Wars, of course. And um, we kind of went away, followed each other on Twitter, as you do. Um, I was at San Diego Comic-Con. And... Um, Mike picked up one of my, I'd, I'd written a novel called Witchwood, which is a kind of spooky um, crime novel with supernatural and folklorish elements, mythology elements to it. And a few months later, I saw Mike again at New York Comic Con and he took me to one side and said, I read Witchwood. I saw you, you saw it online and I read it. And, you know, it's got this kind of mythological element to it. Is that fictional did you create it or is that based on kind of historical stuff and i said no no, no I, uh, it's all fictional i created it he said fantastic would you like to do that for star wars and, and he'd had the idea having read that book he had the idea for myths and fables which i know we'll probably come on to later but that's kind of that's the kind of piece of advice i tend to give people is like you, you put yourself out there and write your your own stuff and i i love writing in kind of other people's universes that universes have meant a lot to me like Doctor Who and like Star Wars. Um, but I always try and write some of my own stuff as well. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, I think there are, there are, there are different creative ex experience mm -hmm. doing, it's, you know, tying and, and your own stuff. Yeah. It's, it's almost, it's freer in a lot of ways because, you know, one of the things I've gathered from speaking to authors, both who create Star Wars and other authors who've created their own things, um, you know, not Star Wars. I mean, every High Republic author, every Star Wars author, as you say, they've all created stuff beforehand. They didn't just go, I'm going to write Star Wars, boom. I mean, yeah. it, it makes me think of it. Star Wars Celebration, I saw um, the Villains of the Sequel Trilogy panel and Gwendolyn Christie, she was like, you know, she was gunning to be in Star Wars for ages, but obviously she wasn't at the right age when the prequels were out and then the sequel, she was like, I want to be in Star Wars. And they're like, everyone wants to be in Star Wars. <laughs> but she was like, you just have to kind of do your own thing. Keep your eyes, almost your peripherals vaguely like, yeah, if the opportunity arose and if the right people approach me, I could peripherally go into Star Wars, but don't just go into it 
I'm going to write for just to write Star Wars. Yeah. And it's not dissimilar when I talk to people, because I've been podcasting now, I'm nearing six years of doing sort of uh, uh, interview style things. And people say to me, you know, why would you do it? And I was like, I just love the conversation. I love getting to know people. But I say that the number one advice for podcasting and other hobbies is, don't go into podcasting thinking I'm going to make loads of money from this because you won't. <laughs> but if you go in thinking this is my passion, this is something I want to do for me. And if along the way I can make money from it or something, have your eye peripherally on that, but don't let that be the focus because then if, or bluntly when you don't, it won't be soul crushing. Just like if you only write to write star Wars, there's only a finite amount of authors who can do that. And it's linking in with something I saw um, Adam Christopher of uh, shadow of the Sith. He said also with writing, it's kind of linking, with you what you said about the uh up to chapter seven and things he was like don't be uh, disheartened if you write something and it doesn't immediately get picked up by a publisher because he said i think he wrote three or four transcripts before anyone really looked at it so it's that kind of idea and, and linking in with that I'm, I'm intrigued by your writing process um of like when i spoke to Kevin and claudia i really like hearing about how different people i know you're quite a visual person um from what i've heard and other things so when you write down ideas and things are you kind of do you kind of just type and type and type and do that? Or have you got like notebooks where you write down things and you've just got lines coming out and annotations? Like what is the, in, in your mind, how do you put together a book of the, especially things like Witchwood and the stuff that's non-Star Wars where there's not really a, a clear place to start when it's your own world? How do you go about putting something like that together? Good question. Um, so ideas aren't a problem it's you know I've, I've got books full of ideas but often one idea alone isn't enough for a book it's often when you realize that two ideas fit together that you start to get something interesting um so yeah i have multiple notebooks um where i'm just jotting down thoughts ideas i've got files on my phone actually on notes as well i'll just i often just start a note and just put an image in there it might just be an image or you know um and then Sometimes those things will start to gather momentum. It's kind of like a bit like a rock rolling down a hill, you know, like a snowball gathering things and it'll pick up other ideas and start to become something interesting. Um, and then you end up with like a premise, um, which would actually, is a, is a, it's a good example where just, I, I've always wanted to write a, a crime novel. Um, but I like writing horror and, you know, fantasy and mythology and it just it was a it was kind of a case of like what if i wrote a midsummer murders but with spooky stuff in it <laughs> I love, like i love those episodes of midsummer murders where you think there's you know there's a witch or you know, something and then it always turns out to be something true and prosaic which is which is fine that's what midsummer murders do but i was like what if it actually really was a witch or something you know let's let's just probe that a little bit like the the form of a crime novel but with actual kind of horror elements to it um, so then I started kind of thinking, well, I'm going to lean into folklore. I'm going to lean into mythology, you know, all the, the, um, green man type stuff that I love Robin Hood and kind of started coming up with, and that you're, you're right. I am very visual. So, um, images and I tend to go on a post-it note. So I'll just, I mean, I, I burn through post-it notes. I've I'll, got post-it notes all around me. <laughs> so I totally get that. I've got a box full of post-it notes next to me, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, what, I do, what I'll do is I'll start to put these images on post-it notes. And then sometimes those images will start to form set pieces in a story. So, you know, um, the discovery of the first body, for example, and if you're writing a crime story, like, and what does it look like? Okay. And, you know, that becomes a set piece. And then, okay, I'm going to have, um, you know, 
if you're writing a Star Wars story, because it's a very similar process, um, big lightsaber battle, and you've got this in your head how that's going to play out. It's like, okay, I'm going to do this thing this way. So I tend to like write them on post-it notes or file cards. And then I, they start to become a pile. And then what I'll do is I'll lay those cards out and start looking at, well, okay, is there a story that threads these things? And, and half the ideas will go away and they'll, be, they'll come into other books later. But I start putting these things together and go, okay, that works with that. And that char- And it's often about characters' journeys as well. Um, so if, if you're writing a, a, an original novel for the first time, you're introducing characters, you, you're working, you know, how am I going to introduce this character and what's the journey they're going to go on? If you're writing a sequel or a book in a series like a, a High Republic novel, for example, you'd be looking at, well, where are the characters at the start and where do I need to get them to? What's the journey that's going to put them there? And and how do I, you know, how do I make it as hard for them as possible? Because otherwise there's, there is no point to the story, you know, that um, the, a point of the story is something changes. Um, so you kind of, you go, okay, well, what's what what are the worst situations for that person to be in it's it's one of cav's questions actually i don't know i'm not sure where he got it from but it's it's a great question because we often brainstorm stuff together and we'll often we'll often say well we've got a story about this happening you know big monster over here and blah 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 blah. and he'll say who's the worst person to be in that situation that's your lead character and because that's a great way to because you know every scene in a in a story should contain conflict so you start to think about, well, there were lots of different layers to conflict. It can be personal conflict. It can be external conflict, um, interpersonal conflict. So, um, you know, that's how you start to shape your characters and the journey that they're going to go on. And and then for me, as I say, I usually have these kind of visual set pieces that I want, the beats I want to hit in the story. And sometimes, you know, you have to sacrifice things because the, the story changes as you work it out. Um, but... Um, but yeah, that's kind of the process. It's 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 quite loose for me to start with, and it's I've described it before to people like coiling a spring. So mm-hmm. I'll spend like months and months coiling the spring tighter and tighter and tighter, coming up with ideas or finding ideas, putting the order to them, and then the the actual writing of the book is like this spring uncoiling because it's just like right now I know what I'm doing. Here's the story, boom, and it comes out quite quickly. You almost can't type fast enough because your mind's going like da da da, and you're like wait wait slow down. I'm not there yet. I need to rein it back a bit. Exactly that. And you, you, you do, I mean, again, it's, it's always a personal experience, but for me, I have to leave myself just enough room for some discovery in, in the writing process as well. So I'll know what the plot is, but and the, the good thing about having an outline is like, you, you know that your character is going to go from A to B to C to D, but you might go A off this way a little bit to 8.5 as it were <laughs> and, and but then you know where you have to get back to you know i have to get them back to, to be for the story to work so it's like you can take these little diversions but you know where you you, you always know which direction the kind of the main all of the story is mm. uh, so i'm i'm very much an, an outliner these days compared to what i used to be mm. yeah i mean working at being just every time you create any kind of um any piece of content, you know, whether or not it gets released or not, it's always a learning process. There's always things you can learn from anything you do. And just writing, like one of the best pieces of advice um, that I've heard almost every uh, published and air quote successful author say is, how do you become a successful author? Just start writing. You'll write loads of stuff and a lot of it will be tosh, but eventually you'll find your stride, you'll work out, you know, what things work and what things don't. And me as an individual, I'm, I'm not a writer, um, but I've found that the best way I learn, and I think most people are like this, is when you make mistakes and things. And yeah. I'm—if you said to me, "Oh, like I've done quite a bit of graphic design," I 
I worked in an apprenticeship and I did that for several years. And a lot of my podcasting friends have made logos for and things. And people have asked me, like, how do I do that? And I'm like, I the way I do it is I make loads of designs I hate. And then I go, what do I not like about those things? How? Why is that thing not working? Why does that thing not working? And you can kind of, by the process of elimination, you can kind of do it like that. Yeah. And um, so I want to link in, um, I, we will get to Star Wars, you know, but I, I want to ask a little bit more about mythology and things with yourself. And you've always had this draw. And obviously, all of your original works as well, they've got a linking with mythology and folklore and legends and things. And I wondered, in your own opinion... What is that? If there is a difference, what is the difference between mythology and folklore? And what about the two or the same thing draws you in specifically? Oh, um, some good meaty questions there. Um, so I suppose that the difference between mythology and folklore, and there's, there's probably a formal definition that I don't know, but to me, it's about um, scale. Um, folklore tends to be local, fairly local. It's kind of, you know, in particularly like in Britain, um, you have kind of almost village level folklore or mm. like regional folklore, and I'm sure it's the same everywhere in the world. Um, and the mythology might be more kind of national level or global. So, for example, you know, the classic Greek myths um, are a prime example of, of you know, proper mythology. Um, Saint George and the Dragon would be a mythology, um, whereas kind of Black Shuck might be a bit more kind of you probably call that folklore because it's specific to an area. Mm. Um, and I, I think it's, it's interesting what um, folklore in particularly, what it can tell us about people's um, kind of their view of the world in, in, in the past um, the way, you know, sometimes you can, you, you know, you can, you can imagine a kernel of truth at the heart of, of these things and then things that were not understood being interpreted in these fanciful ways that have given rise to these fantastic stories that have become bizarre, you know, um, headless people riding pigs in forests and, you know, <laughs> like, you know, um, stories that might have been told to scare children to stay away from something dangerous that, that then become received wisdom that then through time have mutated and changed and become something that's like, it's completely different. Um, a lot of ghost stories and things that, you know, have, have followed that path um so so that's that's for me that's the kind of the difference but and that, and, and also kind of really what the draw is about them for me I, I love kind of how grotesque a lot of folklore is actually how bizarre and rooted in in kind of horror and you know this that the folk horror genre that's been slowly bubbling away since you know the 70s and has now become a whole kind of subgenre of its own um you know, lives on that. That's the lifeblood of it. It's that you know the, the, these grotesque things. I mean, a, a good example for America would be the Headless Horseman. You know, and I, was, I was thinking that. I mean, I love the film. I know it was way before the Tim Burton film, which is excellent. But I, I thought that, and I also thought of. I think Germany. They have a lot of folklore, and I know that the Witcher, both the series, but the video games and the books, they've linked in. I think it's a, a lechin. You know, they're like the skull of like a, a cow, and it's like all the kind of things. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was thinking of when you were mentioning. Yeah, those. no, absolutely. That's and you know that's that. And that's cool, isn't it? I mean, that's that you know. Um, but it's interesting how many of those things have a, have a common root. That's che- and you can you can go back and go. Okay, so we've got the Green Man and they've got the Leshin, and actually, if you go all around Europe, there'll be kind of plant based horrors or you know or figures uh, you know that that haunt the woods. You think, well, where's, what's the common ancestry in that? That's, I'm fascinated by that idea. You know, was was there was there something once that not necessarily a true supernatural entity, but, you know, even like, 
I suppose, a, another tribe that dressed in the in the ivory and you know skulls and things and came marching out of the forest and became these figures over time. You know, um, I, I, I kind of love that idea that uh, of because as a writer, you know, my my biggest fascination is in stories and you know um, folklore is is generally originates from that kind of fireside tradition of telling stories um oral tradition of telling stories um before books were written and obviously later on a lot of those things have been captured but they've they've been captured in their strange twisted form not the original story form you know and in i and i love that and i love how you see new folklore developing as well like um internet memes that become truisms or, or stories that people pick up and run with you know that um that was the Slender Man, wasn't there? Was it? Oh, yeah. I remember that. And everyone, and I was like, I think the generation that was kind of almost targeted because I, I was born in the early 90s. So I know when Slender Man came out, I think I was in college sort of time. Everyone yeah. around me was like, is Slender Man real? Have you played this game? People say the game is based on real life. And it's like, I'm, I'm sure it's not, but it's still very freaky to think about. Yeah, and it's it's cool. It's cool. And that's, that's modern folklore. Hmm. Um, so, and, and I think, I tend to think, you know, a lot of what we do as writers is, is, kind of create fictional folklore and fictional mythology um you know i know you know we, we, again try, try not to jump ahead too much but i know that that's that's an element of what's what drew me into star wars with those myths and fable stories and also what's drawn me to star wars as a um as a a property an ip you know a, a, a universe fictional universe is that george lucas was creating a, a myth for the modern age that's that was the intention behind his films um, and I think he's very successfully done it. Yeah, I agree completely. It's, it's one of those things. Is I was speaking to my friend uh, earlier in the week, and we were speaking about the funny thing is with uh, writing and things and stories, and we, we were speaking about Jane Austen and Shakespeare and those sort of things. And you think of when you think of pillars of writing, you go back hundreds of years, but when you realise stories were about basically as soon as humans could communicate in language it was around that but an example i use so apologies for listeners who've already listened to the podcast that will be, be out a few weeks prior is my uh, example i use was crows you know crows are very intelligent beings but if you're nice to a crow then they'll often go off to their crow friends and then all the crows will come and be nice to you and other animals do that but there's a way of them communicating and i think it started off with danger and it's just don't eat that berry or don't go near the big scary thing it's going to get you you know and i think that throughout history as language has developed over the hundreds of thousands of years that humans have been developing as you say stories around campfires and they've evolved into different things and one thing i very much enjoy and i know that the high republic is tackling this element i mean the drenge linking in with um, the plant life and things like that but it's dissonance and i think one of the things that i find the scariest about uh, legends or um drenge and things like that is plants are the lifeblood of earth you know the only reason we're about is because of water you know bacteria and plants and so the idea that having a plant that's trying to kill you aside from you know ones that are just generally uh, poisonous anyway or you touch them and you get ill ones that are actually actively trying to get you is such a terrifying thought because we view trees as protectors they've always throughout history and incredible amount of cultures you know and you go through the forest and it's so beautiful and you feel at ease the idea that nature the most natural thing is trying to actively get you is something that's very scary and i think that's where the horror and the mythos and things kind of link together is yeah. the scariest for me personally is dissonance yeah, no, I totally see that, and and you're right. I mean, you know, the the natural world is supposed to be our friend, um, and you know, the, the plant horror goes back, you know, 
I, I don't know how far, but I mean, you got Day of the Triffids in the in the kind of sixties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the novel was um, as a as a start. You know, um, probably probably long before that. But yeah, the idea that you know your very surroundings can turn against you and and, and try to kill you is 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 a, one of the true staples of horror. Mm-hmm. It's you know, yeah, properly terrifying. And I, so I think I think that's that's what the Drengo are doing, definitely in in the High Republic. And I think there's a touch of that in the Nameless as well. I was going to mention, especially reading your uh, mini series, The Nameless Terror, which is uh, linking in quite nicely. Is with The Nameless Terror, I think that links in with the Jedi. You know, I know Kevin. He said numerous times in High Republic interviews and things, what. What do the Jedi fear? What's the true thing of this? And the idea of the nameless and the leveler and that idea of the Jedi are the guardians. They're the things that are safe. If everything's, you know, going mad around you, you hide behind the Jedi because they won't experience fear. They've learned to go through that. And then what is something that cuts through everyone? And what's and the Battle of Jedi really goes in on that. And also I just finished um, Lydia Kang's Cataclysm. And that goes into that as well. It's that thing of if you're on a battlefield and the Jedi are the protectors and you're hiding behind them being like, right, they're going to be the ones we follow. And if they're the only ones being affected by the fear, the whole safety net breaks down. And that's where horror really seeps in. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think that's, it's, it's really interesting because that's kind of like the view of everyone who isn't a Jedi is, mm. is exactly that. It's like the, the Jedi are supposed to be our protectors and this is terrifying them and, um, and, and is a threat to them. But for a Jedi themselves, the idea that um, it's the same, you know, we're just talking about the natural world and, being our friends, like the force is supposed to be the one thing that, you know, they can always rely on that, that it upholds, you know, everything. Um, and the fact that the, that their use of the force makes them a target for the nameless is, you know, must be absolutely horrific, a horrific thing to experience. It's, you know, they, these, these, these terrifying creatures are coming for me because of who I am and what I do. Um, and there's no way to stop it. That's, <laughs> That's it is it's amazing and uh, we've touched on star wars and so we'll delve in a little bit but before we do whenever i speak to um authors of star wars I-, I obviously primarily consume content around star wars especially at the moment i'm trying trying my best as people see behind me but i always want to know when i spoke with claudia gray she recommended uh, house of l is one of the um pieces of content that she made you know Kevin, he's currently working on a shadow service and then there's also the ward i know he's doing hundreds of things as well behind the scenes if for before delving into Star Wars, if there's any one piece of content um, of yours that someone um, who maybe is enjoying Star Wars that only knows you from Star Wars, if it was Witchwood or Nubrian Hobbs or anything, if there's one piece of content you recommend to people to purchase of yours to delve into something you've created, what would you recommend for those people? I'll put a link in the show notes to it, but I always want to try and promote people's stuff that isn't purely Star Wars because I do feel somewhat not quite bad but i'm always like i'm so happy i get to speak with you and i know your work due to star wars but i don't want your star wars work to eclipse the many years and all the hard work you've put in other content so uh please let us know about that stuff yeah i um honest answer is probably if it was a single book that i was i was most proud of i think i'd probably direct people to witchwood but actually what i would say is probably as a as a body of work newbreen hobbs um um the reason i say that is you know it's it's a series that I started. I think it was two thousand eight. The first book came out, so it's been going a long time. There's six full novels. There's a graphic novel. There's a novella. There's a short story collection. There's comic strips. There's a soundtrack. You know, it's 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 developed. Um, 
and I think you know my um, my skills as a writer develop. So I think the series improves as you read through it as well. Um, but I fairly recently, like sort of last last summer, published um, what's ostensibly the final novel in the series. Um, I've had a lot of people kind of trying to persuade me to come back, and I have left it at a point where I could do so in the future. So I might I might yet come back to it, but at the moment. It's a complete piece of work um, and uh, something I'm very proud of. And, you know, so um, that's probably where I would, I would point people. Incredible. Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. And I'll be delving into that. My, my thing is whenever I have a, an interview, a conversation with someone on the podcast and it's Star Wars adjacent or anything like that, I'm always, I make a note and I will purchase at least one thing just to make sure because I, I don't want to just be narrow-minded in my view of that. But we'll link into um, Star Wars. But I also want to ask about video games because yeah. you've made a lot of writing of comic books. You've got Dark Souls, you've got Warhammer 40k. You've you've definitely delved into that realm as well. And obviously, Dark Souls especially is very leaning into horror, although the gameplay itself is, I mean, it's kind of action-y, but you're so weak in that game and you get destroyed <laughs> so easily. It's, it's yeah. very, very close to horror, if not actually horror. So I want to ask, do you have a general love of video games or was it more the horror element has kind of got you into the lore of things that primarily take place in video games? I know that Warhammer's probably the only franchise i can think of that matches star wars for lore if not potentially even exceeds it but i just wondered before we delve a little bit into star wars do you have a love of video games or is it more the horror stuff that kind of got you into that world it's it's actually a bit of both so Mm. i i do i do enjoy horror games and i enjoyed gaming in general tabletop gaming as well um the games workshop side of things is is a is a slight tangent because i worked for them for 15 years wow and uh, so after after working the bookstores, I went to work in the Black Library, which is their publishing and fiction publishing imprint. Um, and after a few years, ended up taking over and running that department. And then after a few years more, taking over running their um, entire design studio. Um, aside from the kind of miniature sculptors, but all of the law and the art teams and the writing, you know, the writers, um, which was a, a fantastic experience because you know I got to kind of work with these hugely talented people and um, this this IP that has existed for years and years and years and years um, and, and add to it and develop it. And, um, and so when, when Titan came to me to write the comic, I, I, I left games workshop at that point. Um, but obviously I knew the IP and I knew the world and I, you know, so it was, it was great fun to actually come at it from another angle. Um, with dark souls um, recently, dragon age is another, another mm. comic um, series I've written for dark horse. Um, it's, I, I guess, um, I don't know why. I guess it must be what I talk about because um, editors, a few editors come to me now and say, you like video games, don't you? Do you like this one? And I thought, <laughs> yes, I do. Um, so, I mean, I love fantasy games um, of all types. So Dragon Age, absolutely. Dark Souls, I do love the horror elements of Dark Souls. Um, I find it very hard. Yes. I, I'm not <laughs> very good at playing Dark Souls. Um, Zelda, I, I mean, I haven't played the new one yet because I'm, I'm on deadline, so it's kind of like that's my reward when I finish the next book is to buy myself the new Zelda game because I know I'll lose a few weeks into it. Oh, yes. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, but the problem is I don't have a lot of time for playing video games anymore. Um, you know, I've got responsibilities, children, you know, 
uh, lots of books to write, lots of comics to write. Yeah, uh, monthly mandates with Cav as well, which are yes, very, yeah, very yeah. wholesome. I love hearing about those. Yeah, but that's yeah, a lot of fun. on Tuesday. Oh, so, amazing. Looking so forward to that. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's one of those with like working, because like, a lot of my friends play a lot of video games. And I, in college, I used to play all the time. Halo was a big one. I've like, clocked up a silly amount of hours on that game. But I used to love the single player games. As Darksiders is one, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. And like I've bought... I bought Jedi Survivor day of release. I played it two hours because at the moment I'm like, I do this podcast, I do my other podcast, Star Wars Comics and Canon, and that takes up a huge amount of time as well as socializing and things. And I'm also reading a lot of the High Republic things and I'm like, I just finished Cataclysm and I'm like, I can't play Survivor because I've still got Quest for Planet X and also <laughs> I've got um, Path of Vengeance, which are in, they're downstairs. And yeah. I've never been more thrilled and I never thought in my teen years I would be choosing to read over playing video games i'd always thought you know but because of time wise and things video games because they take up a huge amount of time as much as i love them i'm i think like you where I'm, i get not quite obsessed but i get so drawn in and then yeah. i'm like all i want to do is is just do that thing so linking in we'll go into star wars now as we're in sort of the past the second half of um, our time together one thing I wanted to note with you, I heard you speaking on the um, the Houtini podcast, it was the Living Force, and it was talking about sort of when you wrote the audio drama for Battle of Jeddah and how that's different from writing some other content. So yeah. people should check that out to hear that element of the conversation. But I want to ask more so about uh, Quest for the Hidden City. Mm. Uh, which people should be able to see there we go behind me um which i i loved it and obviously there's horror elements to that as well which is really yeah. cool how with, with battle of Jeddah, it's a very i i've got the script book there but i listened to the audio drama of that and i found that you know that is quite a it's quite a mature piece of content there's you know to be blunt there's quite a bit of death in it you know as with a lot of the high republic stuff whereas with quest for the hidden city i won't see any spoilers or anything because i'm always encouraging people to pick up the junior novels don't the junior novels are incredible they're so good but you as a writer you know a lot of your content has been either ya focused or slightly on the more mature side due to the supernatural or due to the um the horror elements that you and Kevin both love you know in all of your works even if it is available for all ages you can still feel the veins of horror in that so i want to ask specifically with quest for the hidden city i know that obviously with the three books you've written the sort of myths and fables trilogy in a sense you know that's short stories and things and that doesn't delve into the intensity of certain high republic content does and i'm sure the upcoming phase three book that you're writing as well that's going to go a lot into it because that's an air quotes adult book but how was writing a junior novel different to writing some of the other content that you've written that isn't aimed at such a young audience when you still want to keep up the the intensity and the the horror elements like how is writing that different and how is it a challenge for you as a writer good question um so first of all and foremost i think the thing is you've got to respect your reader no matter how old they are yeah so my one of the things i never enjoyed as a as a young reader myself or as an adult reader reading to my kids was when I felt that a author was talking down to the, the child. Because, um, you know, kids can grasp complex things, um, complex subjects, um, sometimes better than adults can, who are a bit stuck in their ways. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, you, you've, you've got to approach it, you know, you've, you've, in, in much the same way as you would with any any Star Wars story initially. So I think I think the, the, the kind of... Your starting point is the same. I've got a great. I've got to tell a great Star Wars story, and it's going to have some Jedi. It's going to have some peril. It's going to have some monsters. You know, some tension, um, and all those things I was saying earlier about kind of you, 
your big set pieces and stuff. You know, I was I, I did exactly the same. I had you know this core cool set piece with you know Sandra and a shield in the swamp with the monsters and you know um, some some pretty dark stuff. Finding you know Rock Burren. I know this is a a little bit of a spoiler, but you know he's been he's been stranded on that planet. I won't say what's happened, but um, he's been stranded on that planet, Gloam, and pretty nasty things have happened to the rest of his team. Um, but I think the key thing is that then. You so you're telling the same sort of story. I could have told that story as an adult story if I'd written it from Salandra's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't. I kind of got down and went, right, I'm gonna get into Rupert's head and I'm gonna get into Das's head and tell the story from their perspective. Um, all the events are the same, but we're experiencing it from a child's point of view. So how do you know it's trying to look at my own kids and go, right, well, how does a child experience the world? How do they see the world differently from an adult? Some, you know, um, Sometimes it's naivety. Um, sometimes it's not burdened actually by kind of preconception. Um, you know, it's, it's some, it, it can be it can be a lot more black and white. It can be you know, oh, are we going to save the guy? Or are we not going to save the guys? There's you know, we're Jedi, aren't we? Let's you know what we're going to do. Um, so I think that's the key thing is, and and then once you're in the book and you're writing it from that child's point of view, it's almost a case of going like. The same things are going to happen, but why, when at what t- moment does the camera pan away? Um, so you don't see some of the things that you'd show in an adult novel. You imply it. Um, you know, you can almost imagine the kids screwing up their eyes and looking the other way. You know, and that ha- and it happens, and you know, and you hear it even like this, this squelch of you know something, or you know, um, the hum of a lightsaber chopping something off. Um, and there are things you, you you know you do have to do. You have to um, think about you know the obvious things like you know you're not going to show drug abuse or um, lot, you know you're not really going to get into sexuality in a in a middle grade novel. You are in a YA novel probably more than an adult novel, mm, but not yeah. not in a not in a, a middle grade novel really. Um, and the monsters really pretty much need to be monsters. You need to think like there are bad guys. And they have to be the bad guys for the good guys to to win out. You know, it's a, a, a quite a clear um, thing. Whereas actually, in an adult novel, you'd have you'd paint your characters probably a bit more grey on both sides because you're trying to show the complexities of like you know, no, there's no simple argument really. You know, like even the Nile have got a point. You know, stop clocks right twice a day and all of that sort of stuff. You know, you're starting you, like you did where, that battle of Jeddah with the, with the brothers of the ninth, something or other, yeah, they're the dark side cool. users who have got a bit of a, they are, you know, they're dark side users and they've got that negativity towards them. But you said, I think in one of the other interviews I heard of you, you didn't go, these are bad because they're dark side. And one of your perceptive, your perceptions I quite enjoy is dark side does not equal evil. It's normally a path that eventually leads to evil by its nature, but they're the kind of areas you can explore the grayness a bit more. Whereas as you say, in, in the young writing it has to be a, a bit more clear and a bit less existential in some ways yeah yeah so you dial those things up but no thank i'm glad you thank you for spotting that with the, the brothers of ninth door because yeah my my per- perception kind of perspective on the dark side is that it's a it's a step that people take because they're scared and you know that those first steps on that on that road are, are off are driven by fear and and that's you know that's something that's that's encoded in star wars we always say you know fear leads to anger leads to the you know all of that but actually you know you can't blame people for being scared and it's like you know and, and doing what they need to do to protect themselves and it doesn't automatically make them bad people and and that's really what i wanted to explore with the brothers of the ninth door was that idea that um you know it's it's complex you know 
Mitian is in in that novel is, or audio novel is a villain, um, but not all of the Brothers of the Night store are. And, and you know, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the um, the short stories I was doing in Star Wars Insider. Sales not yet, because I will say I was waiting for. I've got Starlight stories here of the hardback collection, so I'm 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 hoping. I know it's a slightly shorter phase. I'm really hoping that Tales of Enlightenment comes out in a nice little collection like that. So I'm afraid it's the only piece of High Republic content <laughs> I haven't. But if not, I'll be buying those back issues. But I'm hoping I, for a nice collectible one. I mean, I. I, I can't say one way or another, but what I will say is it would be highly irregular if they didn't do something with them. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, one of those stories in particular, the, the idea with those stories, they're all set on the in the bar of enlightenment. And it's a bit like cheers. You know, you've got this gang of regulars that you meet in battle of Jeddah and, um, Pirali, Muna, Kef, and people come into the bar and they tell a story basically. So they're like nested stories or something happens in the bar that, that sheds light on what's going on in the, in the, the grander phase two. And so in one of those stories, you have a, a brother of the ninth door who um, comes in and, and they're all kind of looking at him going, he's a bit, you know, suspect that guy over there. He's a bit suspicious. We know who he is. You know, he's, he wears a bone mask and he's a bit and dark cloaks, you know? Um, and then, the, you know, again, this is a, a slight spoiler, but the, um, the robbers come into the bar mm. basically. Um, and um, a gang, Bursts in, and he—he's the guy who saves them. Um, and at the end, Parali's like says to him, because he's got this—they've got this ability to cloud people's perception of them, so that it, they can—you know—you don't know quite what you're seeing. You think you might be seeing somewhat, so he, he kind of disguises himself and does what he does. Um, and Parali says to him at the end, "You—you you could have walked out. You could have walked out at any time. You could have disguised yourself and walked out at any time." So, but why would I do that when I had the opportunity to help people? And you know, and I, I love playing with that expectation. Oh, he's a dark sider, but yeah, but he still want he still chose to help people. Um, now, I think you know, you look at the Sith; they're off, they're an extreme end of that yeah. spectrum. You know, but so are the Jedi at the other end. They're the extreme kind of like we're going to help everyone, and the Sith are the extreme kind of selfish end of it. I, I'm all in it for power, but if it's a spectrum, then there's got to be people not Jedi, not Sith, but people who engage with the Force at different points on that scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we've gone on, we've gone on a tangent there, but, um, Love it. but to, to get back to your original point. Yeah. I think that, um, so with middle grade, you're dialing up the, like the bad guys are clearly bad guys. And which is why when you meet the Kataku villains in it, they're not Kataku anymore. They've been, you know, the shells of ancient Kataku have been transformed into monsters by the kind of living rocks. Um, because then it's, it's kind of fine for the Jedi to hit them with lightsabers. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, um, and and you're not going to traumatize any any kids who are like, oh, but you know, they were talking to the Kataku recently on a, on the other planet. Um, so yeah, so you've got to, you've got to have a clear um, kind of distinct moral distinction, and and actually a clear lesson I think for the characters to learn as well. Um, so again, it's the, it's exactly what I was talking about earlier. There's a there's a character journey, and it's about showing change. Um, it's just it might you might wear it a bit more on your sleeve in a middle grade novel than you would. It's it's kind of not you, you don't have to you don't have the room to be subtle. It's like mm. you know, Rupert goes into that going. I just want to have adventures, and I'm bored with all the the negotiating and lightsaber training, and and comes out of it going, whoa, okay, if that's that if that's what an adventure is, maybe there's a reason why we don't get involved in it all the time, mm. um, and kind of biting off more than she could chew and that's um so that's that's a very clear lesson that she's learned there um das goes on a slightly different journey where you know um 
uh, kind of heal, healing his relationship with his with his father, and and but and also coming to the point where he's going like actually the path that we all thought I was on, I'm not on that one. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do something different. I've seen a different part of the world, and I feel I belong in that, um, which is another valuable thing for children, I think, to to read about and be able to then put themselves in that position. Yeah, I, I agree completely. It's, you know, Star Wars at its core, although, you know, it started off as films and George Lucas creating this amazing world and it's, you know, space fantasy more so than sci-fi, I'd argue, but it's it's about lessons. That's the end of the day. It, it's all, you know, the core original story was, you know, Darth Vader. He was a Jedi. He turned to the dark side. Obviously, in the prequels added more weight to that and I, I love the prequels, to clarify. I, I mean, I love all the Star Wars films. I'm very much about Star Wars positivity. All of them have flaws, even the originals, but I, I love all Star Wars, be it written, be it comics, being um, any type. I'm just, give it to me but it's all yeah. about the lessons you know and the prequels i love i actually i grew up with the prequels so this is slightly controversial but i actually prefer the prequels for me than the originals in a lot of ways because that journey it, it's very dark but it, it, it's a lesson it's a it's a it's a hard lesson to learn you know yeah. especially when i eventually have kids and they grow up and i have to show them Anakin's fall and it's like even even now when i watch episode three and i watch that scene with him and mason palps in the room and every time i watch it and i've seen that film 20 plus times if not more every time i'm like don't do it please i beg of you and it's just i think that star wars being a part of my formative years and um, my late father he loved star wars he's one of the reasons that i think i'm so into it as well i think that one of the things i want to show my kids about star wars and i've got i've even got like this is how much i love the high republic and stuff i've even got the these ones and i know you did two <laughs> of them i think and cav did one as well I them, and yeah. I, I bought these specifically because i'm like when the kid's old enough or as young as they can, but old enough to vaguely remember. I'm going to start with these and slowly make my way up, and I'm going to hopefully use Star Wars to teach lessons. That That's what I'm hoping. And it's going to, you know, as you say, the Force is a spectrum, like many things in this world are. And I'm really intrigued by the characters that are in, in the middle in a lot of ways. People like Mars Kanata. She's not quite middle, but, you know, she yeah, yeah. likes to, as uh, Daniel Jose Alder's uh, touching upon in the High Republic Adventures comics and things, she's the Pirate Queen. But we see her in The Force Awakens and she's basically just good. But she's got a bit of grade to her. People like Elzar Man from Phase 1, who's probably my favourite character in Phase 1, he toes the line a bit. And I think characters, when they're a bit more complex, especially when you're older and you can have these more complex thoughts... I find them very intriguing. And so when you wrote the Brothers of the Ninth Thor, I was very intrigued by those because I one of my favorite things about the High Republic is the that when most new characters are introduced, we get what their perception of the force is. And one of my favorite things, there's the um the illustrated sorry, the Chronicles of the Jedi, the illustrated guide. There's some yeah. really great illustrations there of showing what like how Buryaga views the force, how as man does, and there's you know, there's a lot of Jedi who view it in water things. And I believe that in Quest for the Hidden City as well, you tackled it. If I'm remembering correctly, was Rupert is it the wind? I can't fully it's remember. Co- it's kind of colours. Colours, uh, that was it. That was even better. The wind is uh, another one. But like with that element of things, exploring, because I know we're starting to wrap up here, exploring those elements of perception of the Force. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about writing characters like that and to a degree the freedom in, I think, what the High Republic, um, the architects kind of started with Phase 1, being yeah. able to explore different perceptions of the force while still a lot of the core values still being there i wonder if you could explore that a little bit for us yeah yeah absolutely so i i think i mean just to start off with i think the the, the five original architects did an amazing job mm-hmm. uh, kind of setting things up and and working with lucasfilm to kind of provide us with that freedom um and and lucasfilm have been amazing in in the in the freedom that they've given us to explore these things um 
but yeah, it, I think you're right. It comes, it, it always comes back to, um, you know, the, the Jedi all have different ways that they feel or engage with the force, but they're all still Jedi. And, you know, I think it's interesting to like, I think more than ever, um, the way I'm engaging with, with writing High Republic Jedi is I'm thinking them as, of, of, of as real people um, who make difficult choices, who sometimes doubt themselves. You know, you, you think about the Jedi, like it must be hard to, to wake up every day and be like 100% right, I'm selfless, I'm just going to do, um, you know, serve the Force and do good for everyone. And, you know, it, that's that's impossible actually yeah. <laughs> you know it's impossible and you know you see that you see that with all of the characters in star wars you see that with luke you know um uh but i think um that's that's kind of like trying to think about the differences that make us the same almost if you see what i mean it's like um looking at the world and the diversity that um is evident amongst all of you know the, the people who are around us um trying to put yourself in their shoes and, you know, and at the end of the day, it's, it's a similar thing. It's like, you know, we all have core or most of us have core human values that we like to uphold. Um, most of us um, want to help, would help people if we saw them in trouble, you know, and, and, um, and you kind of think, you know, but actually the person who lives next door to me probably has a very different view of the world than I do. He, he, you know, I sit here and write books and live in my head all day. He mends fences, um, you know, he's very talented, physical laborer who um you know i've seen him work um but his perception of the world is going to be very different to me and 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 i think maybe if he's thinking of you know thinking about how the world works he's he might see it in a different way he might think and think about it in physical terms you know in the like um you know he's someone who makes and does with his hands whereas i'm very cerebral really in the sense that i kind of most of my day is is dreaming up stories and writing stories um so our experience of the world is very different and i think that's what we're trying to do with the jedi when we go actually elzar sees um the force as water and you know the the dark side is deeper and the light side is shallower that's a cool analogy um you know avar hears the song of the force um and rupa has a kind of a synesthesia type of thing where you know um life is is different colors and different types of life are different different colors and um no, we use it as a story device or say I, I, I apologies for forgetting that element of things so many oh, jedi no, no. characters but the way you use that as a storytelling device and i also think that i've got um i obviously everything is a spectrum and things but i think that when it comes to people who are more neurodivergent especially people who are maybe further up the scale on autistic elements and i've got autistic tendencies as well myself i think the color element of things i found to be really helpful for perception and i think it's a really great way of using it as a storytelling device while also being a parallel of how younger people i mean people do in general but especially younger people can see the world and the colors are you know an analogy for the black and the white of the world being able to see things in a much more clearer way but you use the force and metaphor to illustrate that which i found to be beautiful in the book thank you appreciate that a lot yeah i was intrigued but i've got a friend who's a um has got synesthesia and and an artist and paints these amazing vibrant pictures um but also it was that song by lord Greenlight, mm. which 
when you you know on on the surface you know you'd think you think about it, she's you know she's waiting for that green light you think it's the green light of go you know but actually when i read an interview with her and she said no no it's not that at all she's got synesthesia and she's talking oh. about and that song is about um waiting for an emotion but she sees that emotion as a green light and that was what gave me the idea for um for rupa and thinking oh okay maybe that's how she engages with the force and, and the world um so um so thanks to lord for that that's incredible <laughs> big yeah. shout out to lord we'll, we'll start to wrap up here um i will i will ask you something when i stop recording as well just oh, yeah, to clarify so you don't dart off too quickly but um sort of final words you know i'll put links in the description to your website and to your social media and obviously to your other works that are non-styles related as well but any sort of final words to any of the listeners about anything you've got going on any fun thing just the floor is yours good sir you know, the only th- the, the the main thing I'd like to say actually is thank you for reading our books, um, but particularly you know the High Republic. The thing that amazes me so much is the 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 way people have embraced this era, embraced these characters, have taken them to heart, and love them as much as we do. And you know, no more than at Star Wars Celebration have I seen that. You know, we had a room with three and a half thousand people in there. I was in that room. We, thank you. Um, but that was a room that was full of people who read books. It's like you were saying earlier, you know, you, you're excited to read books rather than play a video game. And, you know, there were three and a half people, thousand people in that room who all felt the same, who were there because because of books. And as a, someone who's always worked in books and always loved books and sees the value in books, um, that was so special. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, people who are listening are here because we're here talking about Star Wars books probably more than anything else. And um, so just thank you. Thank you for reading. Keep reading. <laughs> yeah. And thank you. I, you know, I've, I've said it on social media a bit and I try and illustrate it when I speak to yourself and other um, Star Wars and High Republic authors of just, you have legitimately given me a passion for reading again. And I used to read a time when I was a kid and when I was growing up and things. And then in, you know, as I got older and things, it kind of took a step back. Video games took a front forward, but since me getting back into Star Wars and the canon, you know, got reset and things, and I've managed to kind of start from square one, yeah. the High Republic especially, I've never been more excited for deliveries of books. And every night now, when uh, my partner, well, my fiance now, uh, recently got engaged, so that it's still a bit of a thing. But um, <laughs> we, whenever she goes to bed early, now I'm like, yes, I get to read my books. And, you know, your books are among the ones that I just absolutely adore. So thank you as well for reigniting the passion and for continuing. And people like you and also all the other High Republic and Star Wars authors, your passion is genuinely infectious. And seeing the High Republic stuff has been incredible. And I can't wait to see all of Phase 3 and what we've got to go there and anything that lies beyond so just thank you as well good sir thank you gird your loins for phase three And that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, my friends, if you've not listened to Genuine Chit Chat before, go back and listen to my other conversations with Star Wars authors, including Claudia Gray in episode 110, Kevin Scott in episode 158, and Kevin Shinnick in episode 187. Don't forget to go to youtube.com slash Genuine Chit Chat as well, because there are video versions of the majority of my conversations, and things are all in playlists, including there's a Star Wars conversations playlist, as well as books and authors conversations, as well as a lot of other different things. So it's a really great way to to delve deeper into the world of genuine chit chat because I've been doing this for almost six years so there's quite a large back catalogue. In addition to that, if you haven't checked out my Star Wars show, please find Star Wars Comics in Canon. It is also on Genuine Chit Chat's YouTube channel. It's in its own little playlist, and in those, there's also playlists in that. 
but you can find it on its own feed as well. In short, I go through a batch of comics every episode and I talk about the plot details so you don't have to have read the comics yourselves. And then along the way, I give additional information on connections to other pieces of Star Wars content, both in canon and in Legends. The show does generally focus on the canon elements, but I do drop in little bits of Legends trivia in there as well. But it's a really great way to delve into the comics without you having to buy or read a single comic. I've specifically made the show so it's perfect for newcomers. It's perfect even if you've read the comics I'm speaking about. I'll give you more information. I'll talk about connective tissue and other pieces of information like that. But I do go through the plot details so you don't have to have read a single comic in your entire life to enjoy that. Details are in the description or you can go to my YouTube channel. Further to that, you can keep up to date with everything I've got going on. There will be more conversations with Star Wars authors in the future, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on that. Obviously, YouTube is a great place to do that, but you can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook at Genuine Chit Chat, or you can sign up to the weekly newsletter, The Pop Culture Collective. A link is in the description, but it's just pccnewsletter.com, and essentially once a week you will get an email with a couple of paragraphs of stuff that I'm up to, as well as loads of other incredible content creators that I have collaborated with, and quite a few that I have as well. There's not too much information in there, but it's a really good way to keep up to date with what I'm doing without having to keep track of every single social media post and things. So it's just a really concise way once a week. If you really enjoyed this conversation, please make sure you share it on social media or you can rate or review it on Spotify. You can leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Good Pods and even Audible. You can leave reviews on those. So please do that if you are listening on any of those apps because it really does help the show out. But if you already have done those things and you share the show and you listen to all the episodes and things, but you want to support the show even more, you can go one step further because you can support the show financially. And don't worry, I will give you bonus content as well. So you can subscribe monthly to my Patreon for as little as £1 a month. And if you do that, you'll get access to the audio feed where there's 170 episodes of Afterthoughts on there right now and there's at least one episode of those every single week so I've done Star Wars Legends book reviews but primarily myself and my fiance Megan we review TV shows we review movies uh, live performances we've seen including Les Miserables the Spongebob musical recently and also we talk about trips we've been on including we recently went to Somerset we so we spoke about that for like 40 minutes and loads of other bits and pieces like that so you get weekly bonus content in addition to other Star Wars content and you help support the show and as little as £1 a month. If you don't want to subscribe to a monthly thing but you still want to help the show out and you want to get a little bit of bonus content, you can go to Coffee, so ko-fi.com slash genuine chits chat and you can give even a £1 donation over there. Whatever donation you give, I will give you a set amount of Afterthoughts episodes. You can request some as well and obviously the more you contribute, the more episodes you will get but the details are in the link in the description. But please, anyone who is willing to contribute to the show as a one off or monthly it means the absolute world to me and i thank everyone who has supported me so far because it means conversations like this with george mann can continue to happen and it means that future conversations are going to be much easier for me as well for the time being i think that is just about it so thank you so much for listening as always my friends i appreciate each and every one of you listening especially up to the very end i'll speak to you next week with it will probably be disney discussions number seven i think i think that's the next genuine chit chat episode i've got recorded but i've also got another one recorded under my belt with a very interesting individual but i'll delve into that when we get there and i've got more recordings due coming up soon so just thank you as always for your support i appreciate you and i'll talk to you next week you have just experienced host creator everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.